Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue to walk through this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Over the last few weeks, we've been asking this question, how should Christians live in an unchristian world? How should Christians live in a world that seems so secular and so unchristian? Over the last several weeks, uh, we've looked at a few ideas. One is that we ought to be salt and light of the world. So we ought, to, we ought to penetrate the decay. We ought to brighten the darkness. The week after that, we talked about how we ought to use the Word of God as the foundation of all of our lives. Christ came to fulfill the law. He, he tells us not to relax any of the law. And then last week, we began, a, we, we continued, excuse me, a, a discussion of the Lord encouraging His people to live inside out. That is, our inner righteousness being our first priority, and then our outer righteousness being seen as a result of the inside of our hearts. Today, we're going to continue to move through Matthew chapter 5, look at two verses of Scripture, verse 31 and 32, as the Lord uses this idea and discussion of divorce to lead us to a deeper understanding. Again, asking this question, how should Christians live in an unchristian world? Two verses of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, 31 and 32 says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray together. God, we ask, Lord, as we again approach, Lord, a difficult saying, God, as we approach a difficult subject, Lord, this morning together, God, I ask that you would help us to see, God, how this applies into our lives, Lord, as we as followers of Jesus want to live in the midst of an unchristian world as followers of Christ to the best of our abilities. Hey, Lord, let your Holy Spirit enlighten us today, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us, God. We call on the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to convict us where we need to be convicted to change our hearts, God, where we, where we need to be changed. Lord, allow us this morning to, to hear, Lord, the words of Jesus and apply them into our lives. So, Lord, help us. Go with us, Lord. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Again, we come across two verses of Scripture this morning that brings us to another tough saying of Jesus. As we think about the Sermon on the Mount, we think about last week, we recognize these are some tough subjects for us to have to encounter. This week it's divorce, last week it was adultery and lust, the week before that it was on anger and hatred, and in the weeks to come we'll look at that passage of Scripture that tells us to turn the other cheek when we're, when we're slapped on one to turn the other one. These are hard sayings of Jesus. But as we walk through Matthew chapter 5 together, we cannot ignore what Jesus is teaching us here. What does Jesus mean as he sits on that hillside with those disciples listening to every word that he says? What does he mean when he brings up this idea of divorce? Well, I think it's safe to say he's teaching on divorce. 
His intention is for his disciples to understand what the expectation is when it comes to divorce. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you this morning, there's no way that we could possibly explore all of the ideas of divorce. If you're interested in Jesus' further words on divorce, you could go to Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus, he further expounds on this idea of divorce that he brings up here on the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew chapter 5. For our time this morning, obviously we recognize he's, he's talking about divorce, but I also want us to see that Jesus is taking this principle of not, not having a certificate of divorce, but instead having adultery committed. He's going to take this principle and he's going to give it into our lives and he's going to make it applicable in the life of our marriages and the marriage covenant, but in many other areas as well. So let's look. The first thing I want you to note this morning is something I think we need to be reminded of, and, and Jesus reminds us of it here today, is that Jesus, or God, established marriage. Well, we need to recognize that God established marriage. Now, I understand if you are married that uh, you go and get a marriage certificate from the courthouse, and I understand that a lot of us believe that marriage is, a, is an act of the civil courts or it's an act of our state of Mississippi, but do not be fooled. The state and the courts and the nation did not establish marriage. Marriage is established long before any of those things ever existed. We simply need to go back to the picture of Adam and Eve to be reminded that it is God that established marriage. You remember Adam was created and God gave Adam the opportunity to name every animal. Every animal that came before Adam, he gave them, assigned to them a name. But when he finished naming all of the animals, Adam saw that there was not a suitable helpmate for him. God saw that there was not a suitable helpmate for Adam. And so God put on Adam to come into a deep sleep. We're told that he took a rib from Adam, and he didn't create woman, he fashioned woman for Adam. He made her just for him. And God, throughout all of the Old Testament, reminds us that it is, it is He who has established and created this marriage covenant between man and woman. It was God who looked to Adam and Eve and said, Now go, be fruitful, and multiply. It was God who established in the Old Testament. He saw man and saw that it was not good for him to be alone. And so again, He fashions Eve. It was God who said, For this reason... For this reason, that, that God, it's not good for man to be alone. For this reason, he should leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and they should become one flesh. This institution of marriage, it is a divine, it is a God-ordained institution. And since marriage is ordained and has been instituted by God, it brings up a logical point next in our mindset, and that is since God has established it, God gets to determine the rules of marriage. God gets to establish those rules that, that comes to establishing marriage or starting marriage and ending marriage. So Jesus here, being fully God himself... He has the authority to establish the conclusion of a marriage covenant between a man and a woman. Jesus being fully present when Adam was created. Jesus being fully present whenever Eve was fashioned. Jesus was fully present 
Whenever God establishes marriage, and so therefore Jesus has, we should understand, the ability to tell us how it is we should behave within our marriage. Now you know when it comes to this point, God established marriage. When it comes to this point, our world has never been so unchristian as it is today. Since God established marriage, do not be confused. Since He established it, He determines the rules thereof. God has determined that the rules of marriage is to be a man and a woman united together forever. That is God's rules. God gets to set the rules because God established marriage to begin with. And the world, our unchristian world, they know if they can get us to fault in this one truth that they will see and we will see we will have the ultimate decay of all of our society. God has established marriage and God has established the church. This is how important that marriage is to God. Only these two institutions has He established. His church and here marriage. I tell you all of that because I want you to be sure, assured. I want you to know that there should be no doubt in your mind that Jesus, He gets to change the rules. Jesus gets to clarify the understanding of the necessity of divorce. And so, He says, it was also said, or maybe the same way we can understand it, you have heard that it was said, whoever divorces his wife... Let him give her a certificate of divorce, but I say unto you, Jesus says. You see, he, he's setting a, a new question, or he's bringing to us a new question. The question should be in the life of those of us that are following Jesus, not what is pleasing, but what is permissible. You see, Jesus is saying we should not only seek to do that which is right, we should seek to do that which pleases God. Now, we need to take some time, I think, to try to understand what Jesus means here when he says a certificate of divorce. In our minds, more than likely, when we think of a certificate of divorce, we think about the results of a divorce that happens inside of our court system. That's not what Jesus was talking about here. The disciples, as they sat on that hillside, as they are listening to this sermon on the mount, when Jesus says certificate of divorce, they're thinking about something altogether different. Jesus, in Jesus' day, a certificate of divorce was something easily come upon. A man could decide. As a matter of fact, only the man could decide that he no longer wanted to be married. He simply had to write up this one document, this certificate of divorce that communicated to his wife why he no longer wanted to be married to her, and it was so. This one document produced by the husband, no court decision necessary, no debate required, a unilateral decision of the husband would, dis would dissolve the marriage relationship. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the scribes, as we've talked about in the weeks past, they weren't satisfied with the law, right? They had to set up rules around the law and commentaries around the rules that were around the law. And so Pharisees debated what called for or what would allow a divorce certificate to be issued. 
There are basically two schools of understanding during Jesus' day. One of them was a, a more understanding closer to ours that, that it needed to be something of great significance before you issued a certificate of divorce. But there was another mindset in Jesus' day that would allow you to seek a certificate of divorce for anything and everything. And I read to you, quote, for any cause which could be as minor an issue as frequently burning his food. Frequently burning his food was a qualification to be issued a certificate of divorce in Jesus' day. And as those disciples are sitting on the side of that mountain, that's what they're thinking about when they hear Jesus say, it has also been said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Those disciples understand what Jesus is communicating, that no longer do we believe that you should be able to escape or dissolve this relationship, this covenant that you have with a man and a woman simply through a man-made certificate of divorce. And so he says, you have heard that it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate. It's too easy, Jesus is saying. Divorcing from our wife is too easy. Jesus said it's no longer to be this way. No longer should you divorce over an issue as meaningless as burning food. He says no longer should you divorce over meaningless. Instead, you should have meaning for divorce. Adultery is meaning. Adultery is a real meaning for divorce. And he's saying no longer is meaningless worthy. Now you must have meaning. You must have an opportunity that Jesus says is allowable. Jesus is doing something here besides, though, talking about divorce. Jesus is drawing these disciples, again, to a point that is certainly applicable to the question of divorce. But he's drawing them to a point that has implications in all of our lives as followers of Jesus. And it's this question back to how should Christians live in an unchristian world? Whenever we first entered into this pandemic church era, is what I call it, a group of pastors around the state began a, a text message thread together and and there are literally pastors in this text message thread uh, from First Baptist Church, Biloxi, to churches in DeSoto County, Memphis, Mississippi, and all around. And we begin to communicate with each other to try to figure out what is right. Well, what should the church be doing? When our government is asking us to do one thing, what is the church to do? How is the church to respond? Whenever our, our world is telling us to do one thing, What's the right thing for us to do? And in the midst of that text message group, I don't even remember, I don't even remember which pastor said it or I would give him credit for it. It certainly didn't come from me. But one pastor said that we need to be reminded that the question that we should ask is not what can we get away with. But the question is, what is the wisest, most godly decision for God's people and for his bride? And in essence, this is what Jesus is saying. You see, Jesus is saying, the question should no longer be, well, what can I get away with? How minor of an issue is required for a certificate of divorce? 
And Jesus is saying, no longer is the question, what can I get away with? But the question has all of a sudden become, what is the wisest, most godly decision for me to make? Again, this plays into this idea of Jesus turning us inside out. He's saying, don't ask what is permissible by man, but we should be asking what is reflective of the glory of our God. He is saying, what used to be permissible is no longer pleasing to me. What used to be permissible is no longer what I desire from you. What used to be as easy as getting out of or someone frequently burns your food is no longer a legitimate right or expectation for God's people. You see, what is permissible is not always beneficial for the follower of Jesus. And that's not my quote. Paul said that. You remember when Paul was getting letters written to the New Testament church? New Testament church would write to Paul and they would say, man, we are, we are having a struggle or we're having a disagreement among brothers and we need you to help us out, Paul. And so Paul would write a response to these churches. And the church of Corinth was, it was just a mess. And so they would write troubles to Paul and Paul would respond to them. And one of the issues that the church in Corinth was having was there was a disagreement between brothers on whether or not it was okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. You guys remember this? They would say, Paul, is it okay to eat food, the leftovers from the sacrifice that was sacrificed to idols? And what did Paul say? Paul said, certainly it is. Paul said, it's certainly okay to eat food that's sacrificed to idols because a sacrifice to idols is nothing at all but cooking. Because there is no idol to sacrifice food to. There is no other lowercase g-o-d other than our God. So Paul says, it is okay, it is permissible, he would say, to eat food sacrificed to idols. But then Paul goes a little bit further. Paul says, you remember, all things are permissible, but not all things are helpful. He says, all things are permissible, but not all things build up. Or all things are lawful, but they're not all helpful, another translation says. Or all things are lawful, but all things are not building up. You see, what Paul is saying is what Jesus is saying. You know that it is said that you can get a divorce simply from a certificate of divorce from no other reasoning than she frequently burns your food, but everything that is permissible is not pleasing. Here, Paul goes further to say, so whatever you do, you know this verse, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, you do it for the glory of God. You see, it's a, it's a turn for us. It's no longer asking, what are the rules and how far can I stretch it? What are the rules and how close can I go without breaking it? It's moving us from not just asking the question, what is lawful, but it's asking us what is helpful or what builds up. 
You see, Jesus is telling us what matters is that we live inside out, that our inner righteousness is significant to God. And he's saying we need to be righteous on the inside, but now he's moving us to consider the outward effects of our inward righteousness. No longer do we ask God, what is permissible? How close can I get? But now instead we're saying, God, what is most pleasing to you? Or as Paul would say, what brings to you the most glory? Jesus is clearly talking about divorce here. But he's teaching us another principle about how we should live our lives as Christians in an unchristian world, seeking what is pleasing to God and not just what is permissible in the law. This draws us, I think, to the third and final point this morning that what God, what Jesus is calling his disciples to is a renewed commitment. And it's a renewed commitment to God and to his standards. And again, while this passage scripture clearly teaches on divorce and its appropriate uses, there is a continued message through each of these teachings of Jesus and it is simply this the standard to which we respond to God by the way that we live our lives, it is based on the law but it also must be reflective of his holiness and so he says you have heard that the law is you should not commit murder but my holiness demands you do not have anger in your heart, you have heard that the law is you should not commit adultery but my holiness requires that you have no lustful thought in your mind you have heard that you can divorce simply with a certificate but I say that inside of your heart it should only be with a matter that matters Jesus is telling us our great desire is not just simply obedience to the law it's asking what pleases our Father in heaven. If you'll look just quickly back up to chapter 5 and verse 20, where we started these antithetical statements of Jesus was in verse 20 of, of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness, listen to what he says, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we ask ourselves, how will it ever be possible to exceed the righteousness of a scribe and a Pharisee? These dudes knew the law. They not only knew the law, but they knew the rules around the law and they knew the commentary around the rules around the law. These guys lived righteous lives and Jesus is saying, your righteousness needs, needs to exceed these guys. And the way we do it, the way we live lives that exceed the scribe and the Pharisee is that we concern ourselves with the inside and not just the out. You see, the scribe and the Pharisee, they were only concerned about the outside. And Jesus is saying, it's about the inside. Don't have anger, don't have hatred, don't have lustful thoughts. And don't ask, how far can I go before I commit a break of the law? Ask what is pleasing to me the most. This is a shift in our mindset as followers of Jesus especially followers of Jesus in America in the midst of the Bible Belt. 
We like rules and laws. We like people to say, this is how you should behave and this is how you should not. And granted, there should be rules and law. But for us in our walk with Christ, listen to what he's saying. You should ask in your heart first what pleases God. And there is no doubt when we ask in our heart what pleases God, we will never offend not one law of Him. Begin there. If we want to be salt and light in the world, we've got to be living as people who please the Lord. If we, if we want to be foundational on the Word of God, we've got to be people that reflect the very teachings of the Word. And if we're going to live inside out, we've got to ask this question of God. Not what can I get away with or what is permissible, but God, what is pleasing to you? Lord, we ask today that you help us, Lord, in a passage that teaches us, God, that divorce, Lord, is not something that we easily need to enter into. Lord, let us be reminded of that thought today. And God, maybe some of us, Lord, we have that. We, we've walked through divorce, and those are, those are terribly difficult times for people. And God, I'm grateful, Lord, that, that our, your mercies and your grace, Lord, they're renewed every morning. And your mercy and your grace covers whatever has happened behind us. That's not our focus this morning, God. Help us from today forward, Lord, to be thinking about not what is permissible, but what is pleasing to you. Not what can we get away with, but what brings you glory. This is, this is the heart of the Christian and unchristian world. Lord, as we stand in just a moment and we worship, our Lord, if we're tuned in today, Lord, on Facebook or YouTube or our website, God, as we have a moment to reflect, would you let us just think about, just think about, Lord, maybe where we have been pushing the rules and it's not been pleasing to you. Let's focus, God, first and foremost on the heart of our God and desire to live from that focus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for first loving us. We thank you for pouring on us your righteousness so that as we grow in our walk with you, we can only become more and more like you. Be with us, Lord, as we sing, as we worship God, and we respond in our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.